middle of an Old Testament series on the very short book of Jonah, and God will speak to us through this narrative, through this story. We believe that God has things for us to see about who He is and how we relate to Him. So turn your Bibles to Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1, we'll be reading verses 4 through 17. Last week we looked at verses 1 to 3. And now we'll look at verses 4 to 17. Let's stand for the reading of God's word to give honor that this is God's holy and errant word. Go ahead and stand now for the reading of God's word if you're able to stand. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give us a thought so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know in whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country of, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid. And said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Because he told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless... The men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So let's pray. You may be seated. Father, thank you for giving us real accounts like this of what happened in history, not just so we can enjoy a good story, but so that, Father, we can see you, the one who is behind every one of our stories. God, you you give us riveting stories like this so that we can see that you are the God who works in and through both the mundane and the tempestuous. God, you are the one who works through our storms. You are the one who relentlessly pursues. God, you are the one who is over all the storms of life. And God, you are the one who shows mercy. God, I pray that we would see these things of you. 
God, I pray that you would, you would give each and every one of us here grace to hear from you. Would you enliven us by your Holy Spirit so that we might hear? God, we need you to be able to hear from you. We don't want to be deaf to you like Jonah chose to be. God, let us open our ears and listen to you. Let us respond to you, God. And I pray that, Lord, you would give me grace and empower me by your spirit to speak your words. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, when I was a kid, I used to watch reruns, even back then. You know, I'm getting older every year. It's a big surprise. It happens to all of us. But um, I used to watch reruns as a kid of a show from back in the late 60s, or I guess mid-60s. And, and this show... Um, it, it came on every afternoon when I was a kid, and I think I saw every episode like 10 times. It was only on for three years, but looking back, it's a really, really um, dumb show, can I say? Um, sorry, I'm looking around to see how old the kids are in the room here. So um, it's, it opened with a catchy theme song. It went like this. Let's see if you recognize this. It says, just sit right back and you hear a tale, a tale of a fateful trip. That started from this tropic port aboard this tiny ship. The mate was a mighty sailing man, the skipper brave and sure. Five passengers set sail that day for a three-hour tour. A three-hour tour. That song's going to be stuck in your head all day, by the way. The weather started getting rough. The tiny ship was tossed. If not for the courage of the fearless crew, the minnow would be lost. The minnow would be lost. The ship set ground on the shore of this uncharted desert isle with Gilligan, the skipper too, the millionaire and his wife, the movie star, the professor, Marianne, here on Gilligan's Isle. And the whole entire show really was all about Gilligan and all of his mishaps, and, and it's ridiculous. If you ever go back and watch it again, you'll think, how in the world did I ever watch that as a kid and that keep my attention? But, but the show was all about Gilligan, and it was really implausible. And, you know, a really implausible show all about Gideon. And, and the storm wasn't given much airtime. All the other people were just supporting cast members and if you read the book of Jonah like you watch TV, you'll miss the point. Because unlike TV, unlike fiction, this story, although it has Jonah is the main, seemingly, the protagonist, he's the, he's the guy who's the key to the story, he's really not. You see the sailors, well, maybe them, but then they don't have this fearless courage. They fear, they try everything they can, but everything falls apart. Jonah, he's a loser in this part of the story. The sailors, they try really hard, but they can do nothing to save themselves. And what we really see at the very beginning of the passage and the very end of the passage, kind of forming the brackets around this in verse 4 and verse 17, is really the main character of the story that we're meant to see. We're meant to see that this story is really all about God. It's not, it's not really about Jonah. Jonah is just the, the, the account of his life to illustrate who God is and how God relates to his people. And what we see here is the story unfolds here in chapter 1. The, the snapshots, really, of God is what we see. And the, and the first snapshot that we see of God is that God pursues people. He, he doesn't let Jonah go. He pursues him. He throws the spear of the wind to him. It's the metaphor that's being used here. And then the second thing that we see, the second snapshot we see, is that, that God is sovereign and he alone can save. The sailors try everything they can. They do whatever is possible. They can't save. God alone can save. And then the third snapshot we're going to look at here is that God has mercy. God has mercy. 
He demands obedience. He deserves justice. And we see the disobedience. It earns his wrath, but he's a God of mercy. And ultimately, as the chapter closes, we see that we're dependent on God's mercy. This story is not about the fearless crew or Jonah. It's all about our God who pursues. He's sovereign and he has mercy. If you, in case you weren't here last week, uh, Jonah opened up in the first three verses, really. It, it opens up with a picture of who Jonah is. He's a prophet, and he was commissioned to go to Nineveh, this hated enemy of Israel. He didn't want to go. It was difficult. It was perhaps dangerous, and he didn't like them. He didn't want to go to people not like him, and, and he said no to God. God had commanded him, rise up and go, call out. And we'll see those phrases repeated again in this passage, by the way. Rise up, call out. He doesn't rise up and call out. Instead, he gets up to go down into disobedience. And the worst thing possible for a prophet of God whose sole commission is to be the oracle of God would be to go away from where he could hear God and where he would speak God's words. And and he knows, he he would have been familiar with the Psalms. He, He knows he can't go away literally from God's presence, but he wants to run from his commission to be in the presence of God, to stand in God's presence and to speak on his behalf. And so Jonah goes away from the very place where he experiences blessing, that the privilege and the blessing of hearing God's word. Jonah goes away from God's presence. I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to hear God's words. I don't want to communicate God's words. I, I, I can't anymore. I don't like it. It's too hard. And so now we see in verse 4, as this story unfolds, that God's really not okay with us saying no to him. God's, God's not okay with us saying, hey, God, I, I hear your commands, but I'm really, I don't want to do it. And we can try to run from God, but God is the kind of God who doesn't let his children go. And so what do we see here in verse 4, beginning of verse 4, is that that God pursues people. And he doesn't just pursue Jonah, but we're going to see he actually pursues the sailors too. God pursues people. Imagine if I have a, well, I do have a four-year-old, don't imagine that. I have a four-year-old, Eva. Imagine if she decides to run away and she says, you know, Dad, I don't need you anymore. I'm not going to listen to what you have to tell me. I'm not going to obey you, and I'm going to go out on my own. And so she does that, and she goes away from where she can hear me. Maybe she leaves the house, and she decides that she's going she's to run away from home. What would kindness look like there? Kindness would not look like me saying, oh, Eva, sure, I get it. You're four and a half now. You're plenty big. Go for it. I would be the worst parent ever. I would actually be put up on charges of of, of neglect and abandonment, and rightly so. Now, Jonah is doing far worse than that. He's actually shoving God off. He's He's a grown man. He's a prophet of God. He's heard from God. He's not just a child anymore. He's shoving God off. And yet, God says, no, I won't let you go. It's not good for you to go away from me. It's not good to disobey It's not good to say no to my commands. I'm not going to let you go away from my presence. And so God pursues him. Even in his rebellion and sin, God sought Jonah. He never abandoned him. Jonah tries to run, but but God showed Jonah you can never run too far from God that he can't bring you back. God could have said, fine, I'll let Jonah go. But God loved him too much. 
He could have said, you know what, I don't need one little prophet. I can raise up a whole bunch of other ones. I've got Amos and Hosea. They were were prophesying the same time that Jonah was. And, you know, Hosea, he was willing to obey the commands of God that were really tough. Hosea had to marry a prostitute, and he obeyed God. So, you know what, I'll just use Hosea. But no, God cares about each and every one of his people. He cares about each and every one of his children so much that he will do whatever it takes to get them back. He's relentless, and that's what we see here. He's relentless. And by the way, this should give us hope if we have family members or friends who do not know God or have gone away from God. We can pray knowing that God's a relentless God who pursues people and he can bring them back. You know, this is terribly unhelpful in biblical theology. It says God would never bring hardship or difficulty. He would never bring storms to bring his children back. You know, he, there's this, this terrible teaching that says, you know, God's a gentleman. He won't ever offend our free will. That's not what Jonah teaches us. Jonah teaches us that, no, God is willing to offend. He's willing to say, no, I'm going to give storms because I need you to come back. It's not good for you. It's not good to obey. It's the worst. Disobey. It's the worst thing possible. And it's ultimately infinitely loving to get our way to disobey God. It's the worst thing for mankind. And God loved Jonah so much that he moves the very ocean to get him back. And look down in your, in your Bibles at verse, four, at verse four there. There's this really vivid imagery. It's personifying God and it says, but God hurls a wind. It's like, it's like God's throwing a spear. It's the same word that was used to hurl spears. God hurls the wind at him and he hits the boat and pulls him back. It's like he's harpooning the boat, harpooning Jonah and saying, no, I'm not letting you go off that easy. I take disobedience seriously. I'm going to do whatever it takes to show you the error of your ways because you need to come back to me. And so he hurls this wind, throws this spear, and reels him in. And it gets the attention of the mariners for sure. It doesn't get Jonah's attention right away, which is really shocking. You're meant to be shocked by that. You're meant to, to read verse 5 and 6 and think, wait a minute, Jonah's sleeping? What in the world? And that was the reaction of actually the captain too, and didn't get Jonah's attention, but got the sailors' attention right away. And what we see in, in really the, the bulk of the passage is about the, this whole middle portion of the passage, all the way from, from verse 5 all the way down to 13, really, or 12, is, is that God is sovereign. That's what he's demonstrating here. God pursues his people. He's not okay with disobedience. He'll, bring, he'll do whatever it takes to bring it back. And then he's sovereign, and he alone can save, and he needs them to see that and to call out to him. God called Jonah, and Jonah ignored him. So now God needs to bring them to the place where they'll cry out on their own, where Jonah cries out to God. So God's sovereign, he alone can save. Look in, look in verse 5. It says, the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. They, they were thinking, whatever it takes. You know what? You've got this God. I've got this Hey, your God doesn't seem to be working. I'll try mine. And so they all try their different gods. None of them really work. And they're like, well, that's not working. And so now we're going to try to throw out the cargo. Now, that was really a big deal. These were mariners. These were sailors who got paid to deliver cargo. It might have been cargo that they purchased and they were selling, or more likely, often, it was somebody else's cargo that they were transporting. And so to throw it out meant that they would lose their livelihood. They could even lose their ship because they might have to pay not only for the cargo that they threw overboard, but the difference in profit as well. And so it was a big deal, but they realized we're desperate. We have to do something. This storm is clearly not normal. 
And think about, these were probably Syrophoenician sailors. They were, they were, they were sailing out of Joppa. It was where most of the Phoenician tradesmen would sail. They're, they're obviously not believers. They are pagan sailors. And they weren't really afraid, typically. You know, the sailor's not typically afraid of, of, of the storms on the ocean. If you've ever flown on an airplane, it takes a lot to rattle a pilot. It takes a lot to rattle a flight attendant. You know, often you'll be bumping up and down, the flight attendant's acting like nothing's happening, like everything's cool, and you're thinking, this is not cool, and you're looking for those little bags on the seat backs. But when you know when the flight attendant has the scared look on their eyes and they're panicking, then you should probably panic. They are far beyond that. They are chucking stuff off of this boat. They are doing whatever they can desperately trying to save themselves, and they can't. And then the author gives us some very vivid imagery. He says, the ship is threatening to break up. It's kind of a funny way of putting it. It's like the ship is groaning. I'm going to break up here. Look out. This is too much for me. I'm going to break up. It's like all the noises, the creaking, the groanings of the ship were like screaming out, hey, if we don't, if we don't stop this, I'm going to break apart. There's some drama here. Now there's this strange contrast with Jonah in the latter half of the verses. But Jonah, you know, they're terrified. They can't do anything to save themselves. But Jonah, he goes down into the middle parts of the boat, and he probably was already there. It says he had gone down. He might have gone there when he set off. Who knows why? Maybe he was just exhausted. Uh, maybe he was depressed. Who knows exactly why? But he laid down on the bottom of the ship, and he was fast asleep. Talk about a heavy sleeper. Have you ever been on a boat that, or a ship in rough seas, or maybe been on an airplane as it's bouncing up and down. I, you can't sleep. And if you can sleep, you're probably medicated. It's not like being rocked to sleep. It's like riding a vomit machine. And so how in the world could Jonah be asleep? And the captain, the, the sailor thinks that. The captain of these mariners comes to him. He's like, what do you mean, you sleeper? How in the world are you sleeping? And then he uses some language here to wake Jonah up that's reminiscent of God's language in, in the very first couple of verses of Jonah. And we're, we're meant to see that. And he says, the same thing God says, the same word actually in Hebrew, he says, arise. God commanded Jonah to arise, right? And to call out against Nineveh, or cry out against Nineveh. Same word here, call out, cry out, exact same word. We see that several times throughout this passage. There's repetition here, arise, call out. So the captain now tells him, arise, call out. Call out to your God. And, and Jonah wakes up and thinks, well, I heard that before. That's the last thing I want to do is call out to God. I, I don't want him right now. And so he tells him, rise, call out to your God. Maybe the God will give a thought to us. He doesn't yet know who God is. He says, the hopes that we may not perish. Maybe Jonah's God will give him a second thought. And it's interesting now. Jonah wouldn't go to the pagans. And yet now the pagan comes to him and tells him to rise and call out. And, and yet he says, you know, pray to your God. And what's shocking is we don't see Jonah doing that. You know, this huge storm and, and the captain is terrified. The sailors are terrified. And he says, hey, we've all tried this prayer thing to all of our gods. Maybe your God will work. What a great opportunity that would be for evangelism right then, right? For Jonah to say, hey, you know what? 
I know the one true living God. I'm going to pray to him. And let's pray that he stops this storm. What a great opportunity for him to explain who God is. And yet, even so, it's like God speaking through this pagan. Jonah still doesn't respond. He still doesn't cry out to God. Jonah's not the hero in the story. And the mariners think, okay, well, we've got to figure something out. So in, in verse 7, we see that they say, well, let's, let's cast lots. And they, they used to have these little either dice or sticks, and they would carve in them different either colors, light and dark, or arrows sometimes, and they would indicate direction or who was to blame. And so they have these lots that they use, and they cast these lots, and they believed that their gods or somehow the gods directed the paths. And you know what? Jonah actually would have known that the ultimate God directs the path of the lots. And he probably would have known. In Proverbs 16.33, how it says, it says that the Lord, the lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. And so when they're casting lots, Jonah's probably thinking, uh-oh. Oh, but he's quiet. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't kind of reveal himself until he's like, oh, man, it's coming. So he's probably got his head down like, okay, they're casting the lots. Oh, and then he looks up and the lot's pointing at him. And God directed the lots of even those unbelievers and showed that no, no, Jonah was the reason for the storm that they were in. And here's the really other surprising thing. These unbelievers didn't kill him on the spot. For he, he was guilty. He was the one who was the cause. And yet they were more honorable, more merciful and kind to Jonah, the believer, than he was to them, and they didn't throw him in the sea. Instead, they asked him a whole bunch of questions. You look in, in verse 8, they, they ask him a barrage of questions because they, they want to find out, okay, wait a minute, um, we, we need to figure out your identity because often your identity is tied to what God you worship, and what God you worship is often tied to your destiny. And so they ask him a bunch of questions, and they say, well, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? Of, of what people are you? They didn't make any assumptions. They, they wanted him to explain. They were actually being really merciful and kind to Jonah. They, they, they didn't start abusing him. They didn't, they wondered, you know, wait a minute, has, have you done something? Are you a fugitive? Are we helping you commit a crime? What, what, what did you do for a living? Maybe that's part of the cause. Maybe, maybe that's part of the problem. Funnily enough, jo, Jonah doesn't answer, I'm a prophet. He still doesn't want to speak for God. But in verse 9, he kind of comes clean partially and he says, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord. The, not, not, not just a God, but he uses the, the word for Yahweh. He uses Yahweh. I fear the Lord. Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. This is the God over all the heavens, over all the earth, and over all the sea. This is the God of all creation. And he explains that he belongs to this God. And he claims to fear the Lord but he's revealed that he's not fearing God now. But you know who fears? In response, these sailors fear. Look in verse 10. It says, Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this you've done? They know that it's not okay to disobey the God of all creation, the God of heaven and earth. That if God is really the creator, then he has a right to command us. And they know it's not okay to disobey God. And he says, because he told them. Now, before the storm scared them, now they were really panicking. 
You're meant to kind of get the drama. The, the storm scared them before. Now they really panic because they realized, oh, if this is the God over heaven and earth who's commanding the storm, then we're in trouble. That means he's a sovereign God. And we're in trouble. We're in a lot of trouble. There was nothing over which this God was not sovereign over heaven, over the earth, over the sea. And if they knew better, Jonah should have known better. I like the way the commentator Stuart Douglas put it. He says, it's like being tied up to a person who's calling for lightning to strike him dead. And they were like, oh my goodness, we don't, we, could you get off of us? We don't, <laughs> this is not okay. We don't want to die with you. And, and then they, they, they continue to demonstrate kindness here. They ask him, well, what should we do to you that the Messiah may quiet down? Because even as they were talking, the sea is growing more and more tempestuous. Nothing they're doing is working. They tried throwing stuff overboard. They tried praying their gods. They asked Jonah to cast lots. And they're like, Jonah, what do we do? Nothing we tried is working. And the sea is getting worse and worse. What do we do? And Jonah tells them to throw him over. And he uses the same language. We see a repetition of words. And whenever you see that in, in the, especially in Old Testament narrative, it, it's meant to, to emphasize something. God hurls the wind. The sailors don't know what to do, so they hurl stuff overboard. And Jonah says, you need to hurl me overboard because ultimately only God's, the appeasement of God's wrath can rescue us. And so he was certain, maybe he heard a word from the Lord, he was certain he might have been acknowledging that he deserved the death penalty for disobeying God. But what we hear, see here are some pretty compassionate pagans, right? They were hesitant. Even after all the cause of their problems was told to them, they didn't, they didn't want to throw him into the sea. They tried everything that they could not to get rid of him. And, and look in verse 13. It says, Nevertheless, the men rode hard. So Jonah told them what the answer was. But they still were trying on their own efforts. They were still trying to do whatever it took to save themselves. And isn't that like each and every one of us? You know, we, we hear what we need to do to be rescued. We need God's wrath to be appeased. And yet we, we want to do our own thing. We, wanna, we still want to work hard because it doesn't seem right. We should have some part to play. And yet they, they, they found out what they needed to do. And they said, no, no, we, that, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound good. We're going we're gonna to row even harder now. We're going we're gonna to try even harder to, to get ourselves out of this predicament. You ever done that? You ever gotten in a situation where you feel helpless in the storms of life and what you do is just you just double down, try harder. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, right? Because that's the answer, right? And, and they need to see that no, no amount of self-effort can rescue us God alone is sovereign and he alone can save. They tried their own solutions. They didn't want to hurl them over. They might have been afraid of reciprocity. They probably feared God. And this is God's prophet. It wouldn't want to kill him. So no matter how hard they tried, it only got worse. It was like the sea was angry with them for trying the author writes. They couldn't. It says the sea grew more and more. So it's this increasing drama. No matter what they do, no matter how hard they try, and, and all of their efforts are futile, the sea is growing more and more tempestuous, and they're about to break up. If the ship was threatening before, it's getting worse now. And so 
what would they do? Would they choose to listen to the word of God through his prophet? Because that's what this was. You see, Jonah actually was acting prophetically again. He was acting prophetically again, saying, you know, I, I know that I'm the cause, and I know this. If you throw me overboard, it, it will, you'll get rid of the wrath that I deserve. You'll get rid of the wrath, that, and you'll be safe. You'll be saved. If I take your place, if I take the place of this angry storm, I, then, then you'll be okay. And so they had a choice. Would they try their own efforts, or would they listen to the word of God, to his prophet? And so they, they were desperate. They came to an end of themselves. They couldn't do anything, so finally they say, okay, fine. And so they pick him up, and I can imagine how sad they must have been because they were trying hard not to kill this guy. And that was a, it was a death sentence they were carrying out. If you have tumultuous seas like that, nobody survives in that. And so they pick him up, and they hurl him. God hurls the wind they tried their own efforts. Now they have to hurl themselves trusting in God. And what do we see here? At the height of the story, we see the bigness of God. And if you've ever been to Mount Rushmore, from a distance, it looks really, really small. But, you know, I remember when I was a kid seeing in National Geographic this, this picture of this guy who was doing maintenance on Mount Rushmore, and he was hanging, and the nose of George Washington was bigger than this guy. And you realize, you know, that you get perspective when you get closer. You see how big it is. And, and so now these sailors have gotten closer to God, if you will, and seen how big he is. God's sovereign. He alone can save. We have to hurl ourselves in the mercy of God. And so they trust God. They throw him overboard. And at the height of this story, we see that God has mercy. That's the final picture we see, that God has mercy. Really, we've already caught a glimpse of that already, though, haven't we? You see, it was mercy for God to pursue Jonah. It was mercy for God to discipline Jonah. That was discipline. If, if you're running from God, if you're experiencing the discipline of God, it's not because God hates you. It's because God is merciful and won't let you go. Now, storms are not always the discipline of the Lord. But in this case, that's what we're meant to see here. It wasn't vindictive, it was, it was fierce, severe mercy. Like William Cooper says, God's, God's mercies, they seem very difficult. But behind every frowning providence, his, his mercies are seen. You know, when I was younger, I felt like I could never get away with anything. I was, I was this huge liar and deceiver, but ultimately, almost every time I would do something, I'd get caught. If there's any infraction, I would get found out. And then I finally realized, oh, you know what? That's God. He's catching, he's making sure I'm caught every time so I don't go further and further down a trail of disobedience and deceit. And it's God's mercy here. He stops Jonah and its mercy. But not only is it mercy to Jonah, think about this. It's mercy to these pagans who weren't even seeking God. It was mercy for God to stop Jonah. It was mercy for God to draw Jonah to him, to bring Jonah to the place of seeing his sin against God, to confess that he's the problem and he deserves death. That's mercy. And by the way, it's mercy when each and every one of us see that we're the problem. We deserve God's wrath and punishment for disobedience to him. We deserve the death penalty. That's mercy. And then the really cool thing you see here too is 
God has mercy on pagan sailors who weren't looking for him, didn't set out to to go find God. They weren't on some vision quest here. They were just taking cargo. They were transporting this failed prophet. And God has mercy on them to bring them to a place to see their need for him, to see that they too are desperate, that they can't save themselves. God's doing a lot of work here, right? And that's what God does. God has mercy on people who don't deserve mercy. God has mercy on people who cry out to him. Look, look, at what, look in verse 14. And here's something surprising, by the way. Jonah still had not called out to God on their behalf. Jonah still is not calling out. And yet, what do we see? We see the same word at the very beginning of, of the chapter when God told Jonah to call out. And then the pagan guy says, call out. And now we see that God's mercy has brought them, his severe mercy, the storms have brought them to the place where it says, therefore, they called out to the Lord. It's pretty embarrassing for Jonah. But God's mercy brings us to our knees so that we call out to him. It says, therefore, they called out to the Lord. O oh, Lord, now, now, whenever you see those capital letters in the Old Testament, it, it's because that's the, that is the special covenant name of God, Yah. The and they wouldn't even say the, the whole word. They wouldn't write the whole word down. They would just, they was called the Tetragrammaton. They'd have four letters, you know, Y-H-W-H. And it was just Yahweh is what we think it sounded like, but it was so holy to them. And they, these pagan sailors who did not know God because of the storms have now understood who God really is, and they're like, oh, Jonah's God's the real one. And it says, therefore, they called out to Yahweh. Oh, Yahweh. They use his covenant name. Let us not perish for this man's life. Lay not on us innocent blood for you. Oh, Yahweh, have done as it pleased you. They know they are in deep waters. In the Semitic culture and even ancient times, it wasn't okay to put somebody to death without trial, determination, and guilt. And they know, hey, wait a minute, if we throw him overboard, we're going to be in trouble. And so they cry out to God, God, have mercy on us. We're going to do this because we're trying to obey, but yet please don't kill us for him. Don't let us perish. Don't lay us innocent blood. God, you are sovereign. You've done as you pleased. So they cry out. They still don't want to kill Jonah, be responsible for his death. They acknowledge their God's mercy. He's sovereign. He does as he pleases. The psalmist wrote many years before Jonah in Psalm 135, 5, For I know that the Lord, Yahweh, is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. It's the same kind of language here that the sailors are using. Whatever the Lord does, he pleases Wherever the Lord pleases, he does. In heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps, these pagan mariners, they've discovered for themselves that worshiping any other so-called God is futile. There's only one God, and he alone can save. And I love that we got to sing that this morning. He alone can rescue. He alone can save. He alone can lift us from the grave. He came down to find us, let us out of death. And to him alone belongs the highest praise. And on the lips of these sailors is praise. And then they take a step of faith, and Jonah, in, in verse 15, they pick up Jonah, they hurl him into the sea, and, and then there's something else shocking that happens. It says, and the sea stops, it's raging. It immediately stopped. This 
gale force winds were hur- happening. This, these hurricane-like conditions were happening. And then whoo, immediately it was done. And then look at verse 16. Look at their reaction. So they already had put their faith in some degree in God. Now, I'm not sure if they were really became believers or not, if they're going to be in heaven with us. I have no idea. I'd like to think that they will be. That is a great profession. At least they were at least near. It affected them. Look at verse 16, though, the response of them seeing the storm stop. It says, they then feared the Lord exceedingly above everything else. They were like, oh my goodness, we were scared of the storm, and then we were scared of God to begin with, but now that we see that he really, he can calm a storm, they were exceedingly afraid. And then this is kind of like a postscript. They, they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. They likely didn't have anything on the ship to offer a sacrifice. They'd thrown it all overboard. But what would have been common is they would have probably gone back to port and they said, you know, hey, we're going to go and make vows and we're going to sacrifice to this God. And I'd like to think that I'll get to ask the sailors if they had become believers, what it was like on that ship. And I'm sure they would, if, if they believed in God, they would say something like, you know what, Matt, that storm was the greatest storm we ever saw. We were so scared. But it was the greatest gift we could have ever gotten. We, we didn't know God. We, we weren't following him. We, we didn't know we needed him. And, and God sent this storm to stop us. He pursued even us. We weren't his covenant people. And he pursued even us. And, and, and to get our attention, to show us himself, to reveal who he is, to drive us out, to call to him. And we're thankful for his severe mercy. What a God we serve. I don't know if they really are believers, but, I, but that's meant to be our response. We're meant to see those things. You know, oh, that God would call us pagans when we weren't seeking him, that he would stop us, that he would, he would bring us to a low point in life, that we would see that we need him, that we'd respond to him, that he would rescue us, that he would show us his mercy And that even as his children, he wouldn't let us go and continue in sin. That he would bring storms in our lives, mercifully, his severe mercy, so that we would turn to him. So they throw Jonah out. And here's something strange. Between verse 16 and verse 17, you don't see Jonah saying, Hey God, forgive me. Not yet. Not yet. There's no repentance yet. And that's meant to be surprising. They throw Jonah overboard, and God is still merciful. Even when he's stubborn to the very end, God is still merciful. That's what God's the hero in this story. Not Jonah, who's like Gilligan. This is God's the hero in this story. It says, And the Lord, in verse 17, appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. God still wasn't going to let Jonah die. He was merciful even to the stubborn, disobedient, wayward prophet. It is not too late. If you still have breath, turn to God. If you're running from God, you're disobeying his commands, God's not okay with it. Now, sometimes actually the judgment of God is actually even scarier judgment is to God to turn you over to your sins, as Romans tells us, to allow us to be hardened and to be okay with it. And, and that's kind of what we see with Jonah. He was sleeping. He was fine. His sin didn't bother him. He was totally unaffected. He was totally fine. I'm fine. 
Not bothered at all. So don't feel like, hey, I feel fine is an indicator of the fact that God somehow is okay with your sin just because you feel okay with it. It's never too late to say, no, I need to respond. No, no bit of disobedience to God is okay. And, and then actually, as an aside, part, part of the application that we're meant to see is that Jonah was supposed to call out to pagans and he disobeyed God. God takes that seriously. What does that say about our own evangelism? God gave us a great commission, right? Called us to go, to make disciples. Are we doing that? Just because you feel okay with it doesn't mean it's okay. Well, God was merciful. Ultimately, as it ends, we see, okay, it begins with God throwing this merciful spear of wind to harpoon Jonah, to bring him back, to bring these sailors to him too. And then we see in the end, God's having mercy by sending this fish to swallow Jonah. You know, 800 years after the time of Jonah, there would be another big storm that would come up on a sea. It's, it's the, the parallel's too obvious to see, to, I mean, to miss. 800 years later, the storm's whipped up on the Sea of Galilee. The disciples and Jesus, they're in a boat. You know, Jesus himself actually makes comparisons with himself to Jonah and says, you know, the only sign you Pharisees are going to get is the sign of Jonah, the prophet. And so Jesus, the ultimate faithful prophet, he's in the midst of this boat. He's God incarnate. Jonah, he was unfeeling and uncaring because he ignored God. Jesus was trusting in God and so he was able to sleep. Disciples were greatly afraid. They didn't know that one greater than Jonah was in the boat. The God of all creation was with them. Where Jonah, he was a faithless prophet. He denied God's call. He ran from God. He tried to escape God's will. Jesus, he was the ultimate faithful prophet. He didn't run from God. Instead, he ran to do the Father's will. And he says, he came to do the Father's will. He was the very embodiment of carrying God's word to God's people. He carried the word to the nations. Jonah couldn't do anything about the storm, but he knew that someone had to die for the many. And he, he should have been calling out to God. Jesus didn't want anything, I mean, Jonah didn't want anything to do with his enemies, and yet Jesus came to rescue his enemies. He came to the world of his own volition to seek and save his enemies. Jonah had to be sacrificed to save the sailors, even though he ended up he didn't die for them. But Jesus had to be sacrificed for the world because there was no other way. There was no other way that we'd be rescued. You see, you see, the punishment was was not a once. We deserve to be punished for all eternity because we've offended an eternal God. And so we have to have someone of infinite value take our place. Only Jesus could take our place. Only Jesus could take the punishment that we deserve. Only Jesus could save us. Only Jesus could propitiate or turn away the wrath of God. We couldn't do anything about it. We can't save ourselves. And yet Jesus willingly... Jonah kind of half-heartedly admitted what needed to be done. But you know what he didn't do? He didn't, he didn't jump off the boat on his own volition. He still had to be picked up and thrown in there. 
But Jesus, he willingly offered himself. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, all so that he would turn away God's wrath, pay for our sins so we might have his life. What do you see here in this passage? You see a whole bunch of things. We can learn a whole bunch of things in this passage. Disobedience to God's commands. It's wrong. God, God takes it serious. The death penalty is what we deserve. God's, God's the only one who can rescue us from death. His mercy is available even for the most atrocious of sins. None of us lives for himself. We're, all gonna, we're gonna take other people with us if we disobey God. And let's not be like Jonah, unaware of the cries around us in the storm. Let's obey God. Let's call out to God. Let's call out for repentance. Speak up. Let's make sure we're not asleep when the owner of the house returns. God pursues us. He alone can save us, and he alone is merciful. We can call out to God in the midst of the storms, and he mercifully rescues. And because of Jesus now, I love that, that Chris came up and shared, because of Jesus now, we have this great high priest, the ultimate prophet, the ultimate priest, the ultimate king. And so now he gives us access to the throne of grace, the throne where we receive mercy and grace. Let's call out to him and let's extend his grace to the nations. Amen? I want to read you a um, a song and then I want to sing if we can uh, that Who Alone Can Rescue whatever that one was uh, I don't know the name of that one that, that was a great song listen to the words of this song O Jesus full of truth and grace more full of grace than I of sin yet once again I seek your face open your arms and take me in and freely my backslidings heal and love the faithless sinner still Oh, give me, Lord, the tender heart that trembles at the approach of sin. A godly fear of sin in part, implant and root it deep within, that I may dread your gracious power and never dare offend you more. You know the way to bring me back, my fallen spirit to restore. Oh, for your truth and mercy's sake, forgive me and bid me sin no more. The ruins of my soul repair and make my heart a house of prayer. The stone of flesh do you convert the trait of sinfulness remove. Oh, speak into my wayward heart and melt it down by dying love. This rebel heart, oh, now subdue and make it tender, form it new according to his mercy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your mercies to us that they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness.